think about what insurance is, is it's pooling risk. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, we all buy a policy for a tiny amount for the, in, in the event that we're that one unlucky person that has the bad thing happen to them. If you think about a typical ret- a retiree that doesn't own any insurance in retirement, all they have is, is their investment account. That can be millions of dollars, but if that, all they have is investments, there's all those what ifs. They want to leave a legacy to the next generation. So there's some money that has to stay, stay there. You have the knowledge, the experience, and the talent needed to succeed. But in the day and age we live in, skill is not enough. Your story is the most powerful tool in your arsenal. This show will help you tap into that resource and learn how to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy. Tune in each week as thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and authors share how they built empires on the backs of their story. You're listening to Stories That Sell with your host, Scott Ramage. Hey, today I have with me Tom Wall. Tom is an expert in the life insurance space. We will get more into that. He is also a coach, a speaker, an author, and a lot more. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hey, thanks for having me, Scott. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I was just kind of, when I was reading that, I'm like, life insurance is going to scare people away, but that's really not really, I mean this is more of a financial tool we're talking about if I understand correctly. So like really talk to us about what you do. I mean, coach, speaker, author, expert, go for it. Tell me what that all entails. Yeah. Yeah. So what do I do? So I'll tell you what I used to do. And that might give you a little bit more color. I I started my career about 20 years ago as a financial advisor, which it's, it's, uh, it's funny. It's, when you start as a financial advisor, you're typically just selling life insurance or you're selling some kind of product for a while before you build a big enough book of business to actually call yourself a, a well-rounded, educated advisor. So I was doing that for a few years uh, before I joined one of the big Fortune 100 companies and kind of was their inside sales guy, you know, going out to advisors throughout throughout the industry. Um, and and I spent the better part of 20 years doing that. I was on the road uh, in hotels, traveling around. Nothing exotic. It was it was always just you know local local hotels and courtyard Marriotts at best, uh, you know just kind of telling the story. And as time went by, I realized you know that a lot of advisors they struggle with this story because it's called life insurance because it's it's it has that negative connotation to it. But if you don't really understand how it works, um, and that's what a lot of my talking is about, it's pretty interesting stuff. So you know what I do now is is after after spending a big part of my career there and kind of moving up to you know, middle management at that company doing, doing okay. Um, just realize that, you know, my strength actually lays in speaking with individuals, telling the story, um, traveling around, you know, getting people fired up about it, helping them with, with what to say, how to say it, you know, uh, to convey the, the message. So I've, you know, kind of reinvented myself over the last couple of years uh, and gone back out to the field to be among advisors and, and their clients. So you're just, um, doing the career thing. You're, you're in kind of more of a corporate, I guess, middle management, I guess you could say corporate, um, probably a pretty stable job. I think a lot of people wonder and look at people like you, maybe me who do these career shifts and think we're crazy. So speak to them on why, why, why someone like you would, would give up, you know, give up this security and move to something a little less or, or maybe a little more risky or starting over again. 
Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I was I was fine and I was well thought of it to the point where like there was actually a, a reorganization where my job was eliminated, but they made one for me. That's that's how well liked I was. Like I was going to be fine. I would have retired from there 20 years later with plenty of money. Um, you know, but you talk to the coaches and stuff about what your why is, what's, you know, what's your burn, like what gets you up in the morning. And for me, it just got to a point where, you know, the the pain of staying was greater than the pain of leaving. And that pain for me was feeling like I had a lot more to give, feeling like I had um, more people to impact, you know, actually a greater impact that I could make out in, in the space. So after a while of just being in Zoom meetings all day, and, you know, it was a it was a cushy, comfortable job. It was a great company. I have nothing bad to say about them or any of the people I worked with, but it got to a point where I said, hey, I see these people out there getting paid to speak. You know, they're, you know, the motivational speakers or industry experts, and they're putting out books, and they've got programs, and um, and I'm saying, just why not me? You know, why can't I do that if that's where my strength is? And that's what's gotten me here. You know, that's what got me to these, to the senior role. And that's where it, what got me to that kind of reputation within my company. Um, what if I could take this to the next step? So really it was, it, that's, that's what, what it was for me. It was the, what if, you know, what if you stay here for 20 years and you're in at 65, you look back and say, man, I never took that leap. Um, that I think would pull me down the road. Yeah, I think it's a, it, it's those of us that do that are wired a little differently. I remember when yeah. I exited from education field, literally, I'm, I kid you not, people looked me in the face, teachers looked me in the face and said I was stupid. And um, it's a real interesting transition. Did you go through anybody saying like, what what in the world do you think you're doing? Or are you pretty, pretty, uh, pretty supported in that realm? I was fairly well supported, but there definitely were a few, uh, particularly as I started to put myself out there, you know, when you put, when you start putting yourself out on social media and you and you post videos and reels and things like that. And, and beforehand, none of that had, had occurred. So yeah, I, I caught wind of some old friends that, you know, were talking behind my back and saying, what is this guy doing now? This, this, he's crazy. Um, who does he think he is? And, um, yeah, you'll, it's, 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 it's very real in that way. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you got to take a risk, risk reward, right? You got to take that risk and put yourself out there for, to have that upside. 100%. And it's, it's interesting. I think the, the kickback is just people not understanding that, that mindset, right? Like the way that maybe an entrepreneur, a little more entrepreneurial you are, you're wired a little differently. You don't have that risk risk aversion and you're just like, Hey, look, I'm going to go for it and I'm, I'm going to live while I can and enjoy what I'm doing. Um, so let's talk about something that a lot of entrepreneurs talk about. And that's, uh, um, imposter syndrome. Did you get that? Did you feel that coming out of the gates? Like, who am I to do this? Absolutely. I still feel it every day. Um, I, I, I've, <laughs> I mean, I've got multiple master's degrees, a PhD in this stuff, 20 years of experience. I mean, like the resume is, it can't be better. But still, every single day, I'm like, who am I to be writing books? And who am I to be posting videos online as if I'm some expert every single day? And I, I will bet you that even the, the biggest names you can think of probably have those moments every day, too. Because I ask some of those guys that I come across, they all say the exact same thing. Um, it's just human nature, uh, you know, especially if you're, you know, well-raised and <laughs> you're a little bit right. humble. Um, right. You know, it's normal to think that way. Yeah. So you said you started going out on social media. Talk to me a little bit about that because that was obviously different than being in that, you know, you're, you're, you were in a highly, would you call it controlled environment, work environment where there's certain things you can say that's very regulated. 
was it the same way or did you kind of move out of that and have a little more flexibility because you were on your own? Yeah, I had to move out of it, you know, so I was, you know, like I said, I was uh, highly licensed in the financial services industry, which means, you know, everything is regulated, everything has to get signed off on. There are things you can and cannot say, uh, they're very careful about you saying promissory statements, and, and it's all good, it's all for the protection of individuals and, and stuff. So it's, it's very hard to kind of be a personality that way. If you want to write books and speak, and you can do it, there's people that do it and, and you know, run financial services practice and such, but it can be quite cumbersome. And I, I didn't have one. I didn't, I don't, I never had individual clients per se. I, I did when I first started. So for me, it was, it was a little bit easier for me to just kind of drop those registrations, drop those, drop those licenses um, <clears throat> so that I could be a little bit more independent and start saying that and start saying what I wanted to. Um, but that's always, that's a struggle. I think for a lot of industries, you know, they're like finance, you know, medicine, you know, these are highly regulated industries where, you know, certain things can and cannot be said. Right. Yeah. I have a couple of friends that are in the finance world and they're like, we know that social media is an incredible opportunity, podcasting, LinkedIn, yet every time we do something, even if it's like even overtly close to saying something, they get their hand slapped or say, take that down. And I guess it's, yep. it's, it's been real discouraging for most of them. So you kind of got those hand, you kind of removed those handcuffs from yourself. It sounds like. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what, I, that's really what, what's driving me to do what I'm doing right now is, you know, the industry needs mouthpieces. They need people that are out there talking about this stuff in a positive way. But if you're in the, if you're in the sales chain, if you're in the chain of people that are actually selling these products and positioning them and, and implementing them with, with individuals, you're in that legal compliance chain. So you know, there's there's plenty of third party folks. There's the Dave Ramseys of the world. The people know folks like that. They're not licensed. They have no credentials. They're not a part of that chain at all. So they basically just say whatever they want. Um, but a lot of those folks are not very positive about the space that I grew up in, which is dividend paying, participating, whole life insurance. It's it's not sexy. It's not cocktail party stuff, but it's really important planning and it's, it's and it's really strategic planning for for that mass affluent crowd and above that we work with a lot. So I wanted to be a positive voice um, in the in you know the somewhat public eye, something that advisors could lean into, something that advisors could even leverage, you know, my material with their clients without actually them being the ones saying it or or, or them being the one that's you know liable for it or or anything like that. Because I'm I'm you know I I am I biased for sure, but just I'm biased because I've done the homework, not because I'm biased for any any monetary reason. Um, but you know, I want, I want to be that mouthpiece, uh, for good, uh, in that way. Yeah. That makes that, that's really cool. Actually. I love that, that perspective. Let's jump in. I just want to jump in because there's, yeah, I remember, um, listening to Dave Ramsey, you brought him up. So I'm going to go there. And he was talking about how horrible whole life insurance was. And then I read a book, um, killing sacred cows uh, on a recommendation of a friend. I'm like, wait a minute, this is a totally different story. And then um, I talked to somebody and he's like, I sold, I sold life insurance. That's a total scam. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my head is spinning. This was years ago. My head is spinning. I don't know who to believe. I don't know what to think. And um, so I started asking around and my more affluent friends, friends who had made it in business, they were all pointing to whole life as one solution that they were all really dialed into. And it took some reprogramming of my brain and then realizing anybody I talked to about it, I was opening, I was 
quite possibly opening a can of worms that I couldn't really compete with. And I didn't really care to, I was just listening to the people that were actually, um, having success, leveraging some tools that you're talking about, because you said it, insurance is not sexy. So how did you come from, I mean, did you always kind of dabble in these areas, even in corporate, or was this a pivot once you moved away from that, you know, position? This was my expertise, my whole career. You know, I, 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 I jokingly say no little boy grows up, uh, you know, dreaming to be a life insurance expert for financial advisor, life insurance salespeople. Um, but here I am at 41 years old, uh, as such. And no, my whole career, I, sp- I spent talking about this stuff and fighting against the misinformation online. And the truth is, you know, it, you can't, it's, there's not just one product. It's a category of products. You know, whole life insurance is a category. There are companies that I would never buy one from. Uh, and there are companies that are best in breed. And there's probably only a, a small handful of those companies uh, that, are, that are really best in breed and, and worth, you know, investing significant dollars with. So I, I struggle with some of the talking heads uh, and there's plenty of them that say, don't buy annuities. You know, annuities is a huge category, a, a trillion dollar industry. I mean, it's huge. Um, life insurance. There's, there's dozens of different flavors within one company, never mind all the different companies that, that issue it. So it's really just a tool. You know, it's, it's when you're talking to a client and you're trying to actually help them toward a goal like retirement or toward minimizing taxes so they can, you know, transfer business interests or take care of their kids. It is a tool um, in the shed that you can use. But, um, you know, one of the reasons that a lot of the companies are careful about what gets said is because the tax advantages for this done correctly are really, really good. Yeah. where you can put your money in and multiply it by many times over the course of your life and never pay income taxes on it if you do it correctly. Um, and that's not a secret. Everyone knows that. I mean, it's not like a secret, but you know, the companies are careful about how they market that because you know they're afraid that Congress could take that away from them, um, truthfully. So that's that a big a part. Yeah. That's a big part of, of you know, my writing and speaking is how do we responsibly, you know, have this discussion with clients? How do we responsibly market this in the industry? Um, I think my unique background is I I used to run, you know, a team of folks that were creating marketing materials around this stuff. So I I got very comfortable with, you know, where the lines are, are drawn and what you can say and what you can't say and why, why you should or shouldn't say certain things. Um, All you got to do is pull up TikTok and and Instagram and, and go on YouTube and there's, there's dozens of people out there that are that are pushing this stuff with crazy language that they've made up, and it's frankly misleading. I mean, they some of these guys should be sued, no no doubt, um, because of the way they're they're really misleading people into buying the wrong stuff. I think so. <clears throat> it's a, a little bit of a tangent. It's really that's kind of yeah. no, I love it. But I I was on a I've done a few sales calls with people who are selling life insurance, and what I learned and and it's been an interesting journey. What I've learned is they're using some of the same language, but they're actually completely different types of products. And I mean, maybe you can speak to that. So like, they're like whole life. And then I, I went and talked to another person and they're like, that's not the whole life that we do. And my, my brain goes, I, I don't understand. <laughs> like, you know, is this, is this a reality? Is that there's just, I mean, you talked about there's some companies you won't or will do work with. Hey, before we get started, imagine having a team of virtual assistants helping you out with everything from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, 
processing payments, sending out marketing emails, creating content, managing your social media accounts, and so much more. The Ace for Gyms is here to make sure your business runs as smoothly as possible so that you can focus on what matters most, serving your clients. We offer a wide range of services that will completely run your business and give you the one thing everyone is limited on, more time. Check out our website at www.vasforgyms.com. That's V-A-S-F-O-R gyms.com and book an appointment to find out more. I would say that there's there's a lot of different flavors out there and there's a lot of different ways you can set it up. Um, and it all comes down to risk tolerance. Mm. First of all, uh, a lot of advisors don't exactly know what they're selling, to be honest with you. Some advisors don't fully understand the intricacies of the policy and, and what can go wrong. Um, what's interesting about the way these things are sold is if you buy an investment, there's no projection made of how that investment investment's going to do. They'll they'll tell you like what the returns were in the past, but no one's showing you a spreadsheet of you know what it's going to look like by this because no company can promise that. In the life insurance space, there actually is something called an illustration where basically you're gonna you're, you're gonna get a projection of future values based on the rate at which the company is paying today, some static every single year return, and that's that's not reality either. Uh, interest rates will get high, interest rates will get lower. Uh, a, good, a good example is there's something called indexed universal life, which is probably the most popular alternative right now to whole life insurance. Um, and it has, it has some guarantees in there. Like you can't, you know, you can't get credited less than 0% in a given year. So it's, it's like tied to an index, but if the index goes down by 30%, you know, you get credited zero. So that sounds good. Um, but it's only a one year guarantee, you know, over mm. time, there, there are still significant fees in those policies that can kind of cannibalize your values and, and, and make that thing go away completely, potentially long-term. So without, without working with an advisor that really understands all those nuances and explains those nuances to you in a way that you understand, um, it, can be, it can be a disaster 20 years down the road when it's a little bit too late to fix it. And that's, I think, the issue. That's a big issue. That's a really big issue because you, you, you take a guy like me that's this was new you know, four years ago, and I'm, I'm like, wait, what do I do? And I get a connection. I talk to a guy and I literally just trust, you know, the information sounded really good. Um, you know, I hear, then I hear terms thrown around infinite banking and, you know, different terms in, in conjunction. And quite honestly, it just causes confusion. Like for the layman like me in this world, it's, it's, there's a lot of confusion. Well, that's exactly what that's perfect right there. So the, the term infinite banking is a very loaded term. And, there, and a lot of the big companies will not allow their advisors to market the concept of infinite banking. And really all it is, it's, it's, it's some creative term that I think Nelson Nash put on it almost 30 years ago, or at some point, very long ago. It was just something he made up. And all it means is that, you know, you can borrow against your policy. So you're banking, you know, that's, that's, that's what it is. And you can do it over and over and over again. So that's infinite. In reality, it's not infinite. You're limited to how much you've contributed to the to the policy, um, and in, and also in reality, it's not banking. It's not FDIC insured. There are no banks involved. I mean, the, the the insurance company is the one making that loan. So I struggle with that terminology. But you just said it. It's confusing to you. So that breeds complaints. That breeds you know clients not understanding what they bought. And 20 years down the road, they're sitting here with a policy that's half of what it should be, or it might be lapsing completely. So they put in tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds, and they've got nothing to show for it. Um, 
that's a bad scenario. That's a bad outcome. So it, that, but on the flip side, it's, it's very easy to sell it that way. When you're just like, look, you can just put your money in there and multiply it and give it multiple uses over the course of your life. And it's all true. You can do, I mean, I do it by the way. Like I, I haven't had a savings account. I have not had a savings account with a dollar in it in 14 years because my life insurance is so significant. I use my life insurance as my, as, as my savings. Like that's, that's my cash. I take loans, I pay it back. I, I, I use it that way. Um, but I'm careful about the way I describe it because it's, you know, it's a life insurance policy with amazing tax advantages and you can touch it whenever you want. There's no, it's not tied up till retirement. That's why it's so attractive, especially to folks that have business interests or they have, you know, high tax brackets and they're looking for ways to, to save money with tax advantages. Uh, it's, it's probably one of the best kept secrets in the business. I think it's actually why I named my consulting company, best kept secret consulting. Um, I'm not the best kept secret. I'm, I'm consulting on what I think is the best kept secret in the business because of the way it works. So this may not be what you want to talk about, but I, I do want to go here. How does mm-hmm. someone like me or, you know, someone maybe, maybe a successful business person who wants to do a little diversification or completely shift their traditional approach to something that probably has a little more upside? Um, how do we find the right person? Good question. Um, you can, you almost can never know. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good signs. So I actually wrote about that at the end of, end of my book is how do you find the right person? I tend to find that, you know, I've worked with now thousands of advisors over the course of my career, and it tends to come from where they're born. <laughs> I jokingly say where you're born in the business. If you were born at one of the big mutual life insurance companies, you probably started out like I did selling whole life insurance and you did some investments on the side. If you grew up on the other side of the house where, you know, you were basically selling investments, so you started with, you know, Merrill Lynch or something like that. Um, you were taught from day one that whole life insurance is, is a dirty word and, 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 you, and you don't believe in it. So, you know, you, you, so that advisor is probably not going to sell you whole life insurance because, you know, they never had that culture. They never had someone that understood it, you know, teaching them about how it works. Um, credentials are a big one too. You can look for people that have a CFP. Uh, there's credentials called CLU or CHFC. Um, it stands for chartered life underwriter or chartered financial consultant. Those tend to be, those three specifically tend to be, um, very fair in terms of, of looking at insurance as part of planning. Um, you know, for, for, in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of most successful folks, investment planning is not financial planning. So just just investing money in the market, putting money into your 401k, doing rollovers, things like that. That's part of planning, but it's not actually planning. It's, it's saving and investing, but planning is, is what can go wrong. It's, 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 um, it's, it's rounding it out. So the, the short answer is you can't know, you have to, you have to network around. You want to figure out who the ba- what the background is of that advisor. You know, where do they come from? Mm. Where do they start? Um, you want to get referred in, <laughs> but you, the truth is that this is the hardest part of the business is these things are so complex and there's so many hundreds of different options that an advisor could present to you. Uh, it's even hard for them to know what's right. Yeah. The last one I had a call with, and this isn't to call anybody out, but I, I think he saw that I wasn't really jiving with the one. And then all of a sudden there was this, actually, we need to do X. And my, my trust just went out the window. I'm like, okay. Like, and all of a sudden, I don't know if it was a qualification or something, but it was like, hey, this is what you should do. And then I had one question and it went, well, actually we should do, 
this. And then I was, I left confused, you know, confusion is the, is the enemy of sales. I was like, nah, I don't like, if you, yeah. if you don't know what I need, I don't know that I'm your person. <laughs> so I so. think this is, I say this a lot, I, I, not to get too technical or, you know, not to get too into the product. I don't, I'm not sure that was the, the goal of this podcast, but I can tell you this. There's, there's term insurance, which is like renting your insurance. It's dirt cheap. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, it's, it's almost like car insurance. If you, if you crash into something, it pays. If not, you know, they keep the premium. Uh, you have to have that. You know, if you have, if you have kids, you got a family, I mean, you have to have at least term insurance. It's dirt cheap, but you know, most people are going to outlive that and you'll pay all the money you, you'll never get for it. Uh, permanent insurance, which is there, it's, it pays when you die, not if you die, it will be there later on can be, you know, 10 to 20 times the premium, but it's not a cost. People say it costs more. It's not a cost. I mean, you're contributing to an asset that's going to go up in value and return more to you than you paid in down the road. It's um, so you don't want to call it an investment because it's not, it's an insurance contract, but uh, you know, it's, you're, you're getting value back from that one way or another. The, the way these policies all work, all of them um, is it builds a cash value on a tax advantage basis. So it goes up tax deferred. You don't pay any taxes as it goes up. And eventually that cash value kind of replaces the death benefit. So that's why it works is, you know, by age 100, if you had a million dollar policy, your cash value should be a million bucks. So it kind of replaces the death benefit for the company. Um, and frankly, your insurance needs aren't quite there anymore because, you know, you've, you've accumulated, you've accumulated the money, you've been successful. And there's a couple different flavors. And this is why I think you, this goes to what you were just talking about. There's, there's variable policies, which are tied to the market. In those policies, the risk is on you, the consumer. Basically, if the market goes down and crashes, guess what? Sorry, it didn't work out. Now you have to put more money into the policy to make it look like it was supposed to. Um, the same thing with index universal life. You know, they'll say that there's guarantees. You know, you can't lose money. It's, it's going to be a minimum of zero. Well, yeah, but then you're going to pay, you know, significant charges on that zero. So it's really a negative. You get a couple of zeros in a row. And the problem with that product is the, the cost of having that zero floor is usually that you're capped. You can't earn more than say 10%, even if the market does 40, right? You're, the cap is, is so over time, you can lose everything in those policies too. The reason that I favor whole life insurance and why I, I have chosen to really focus on whole life insurance, and that's why my, my mastermind group is whole life masterminds. And I'm, I've really gotten behind that is with whole life insurance, there is that savings component and it does fluctuate based on how the company pays dividends, but it's guaranteed to go up in value every single year. The only question is how fast. And that cash value is guaranteed at age 100 or 121 or something like that to equal the death benefit, no matter what, as long as you pay the premium. So the, the, the risk is completely shifted away from the client, right? The, the risk is completely away from the client. And the only question is, how much is the company going to enhance those guarantees? So when you think about it, in each one of these vehicles, you're either going to be you know, invested in the market like the VUL, or you're going to be invested you know, fractionally to some index like IUL. Or in the case of whole life, it's going to be this big general investment account that's largely like bond-like stuff, you know, safe stuff. Um, those all kind of flow through to the policy owner first. The policy charges come off and you kind of get the net, right? That makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but with whole life insurance, it can't go down. It has to go up. All of the risk is taken away. So thinking about it, you can essentially participate in this big investment account that's backing all these, all these insurance policies of the company but they've guaranteed away the risk. And then by the grace of Congress, they've guaranteed away taxation if you don't screw it up. And that is a better risk adjusted return. So it's not sexy. It's not 40%, you know, cocktail party talk, 
But if you're thinking about your safe stuff, your better alternative for cash, that can actually be a much better alternative for cash and your safe stuff and give you the permission to then, you know, go take real risks with, you know, business interests, equities, um, you know, real estate, heck, heck, crypto, whatever, just take real risk and try to try to, you know, make money there. Yeah. I like the way this conversation is going, because I think if I have these questions, other people will have these questions. So here's a good, big question coming from me. My brain goes, okay, if there's a promise on return or, you know, there's some sort of gain, mm -hmm. where's the money? Because I know people selling it are making money, which they should. Like, I, I think that's somebody's, somebody's argument to me. It was like, they're just trying to make money. I'm like, yeah, that's what business is about. Like, okay, but really, where where is the money? Is it they have all this money coming in and they're able to leverage that to make it a profitable for the insurance business? I mean, I'm I'm a little confused on that. I'm not quite sure I understand the question. Yes, there. I mean, there's commissions in the product for sure. Right. Um, no, but but the insurance company itself, how are they making money if the return is at or higher than people are putting in? Um, oh, they're making money. I mean, think it's think of it like bank. I think the banking business, I mean, it's a spread business. So, okay. you know, you, yeah, so there, there's a little bit of a spread in there. There's mortality charges. So if you look at a policy, there's fees, there's charges, um, inside of a life insurance contract. Some of them are pretty um, transparent where you can actually see dollar by dollar where it's coming out in the case of whole life. It's a little bit opaque where it's all kind of baked together. You can't really see those charges and that's that's a big knock against it too, is they, they don't know where the money's going. And they'll say, ah, it's all going to the life insurance agent. They're getting all these fat commissions. And the truth is it can be, you know, it can be high. Um, but over time, generally speaking, once you get into a mature policy, five, 10 years down the road, you know, all you're paying for is basically what they call the net amount at risk to the company. Essentially, hmm. you know, you have a hundred thousand in cash value, but you've got a $500,000 death benefit. You're essentially paying, you know, the cost of $400,000 of insurance internally. And the rest is your cash value just growing. So, so no, I mean, it, that's how the company makes money. They're, they're charging you along the way. Um, they're, those, fee, those fees are baked into the contract. Um, and no, when they say, when, when a company says they're going to pay a 6% dividend or a 5% dividend, that means that's what their investment account's earning. That their, their general investment account is getting 5 or 6% cash flow. Um, and that's not hard to get today. You know, that's that they're they're investing in long term corporate bonds today at you know five and six percent based on the way rates have come yeah. up. So that's not, it's not hard for them to accomplish. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of finish the equation so people were like, wait a minute, this doesn't you know for like I said for a guy like me who doesn't know a lot about it, you start kind of like drawing conclusions that may not be true. And um, I think it's important to like, yeah, there's fees like just like in any business, you pay for what you're getting, and that's just that's just the way it works. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's how it works. Otherwise, it wouldn't yeah. exist. And um, and then again, like yeah, someone selling you this is going to make money. Why do you think they're spending time doing it? <laughs> so, exactly. so exactly. Um, I love what you do because you kind of get to be the educator, like you said, for some of these folks that are kind of little hamstrung and don't really get to get that message out. You talked about a a mastermind that you do, um, that's, is that for insurance sales folks? What is, what's that? What does that look like? Yeah. So that's for financial advisors, um, okay. you know, or insurance sales folks, you know, advisors that are, are, you know, friendly to the, <laughs> the whole life plan and they want to get better at, at positioning it with their clients. So, you know, half the time I'll do like a deep dive on some kind of product concept or, or, um, you know, way to position this with a client or how to solve a, an estate, estate tax planning problem, for instance. 
The other half of the time, you know, I've been fortunate to meet thousands of advisors. I, I have, you know, dozens, heck, I guess, I guess hundreds of, of contacts now in the industry that are, that are, you know, producing at very high levels. I mean, these are seven, seven figure income folks mm-hmm. um, that are winning awards and, and, and doing some really good stuff. So I, I'll have those folks on my program as well to kind of share their ideas, what's made them successful, their struggles early on. And the whole idea is just to you know provide education and support to these advisors because there's a vacuum of that in the industry. If you think about what's happened in the country for everybody, like everybody's working from home now, and there's this there's this um, culture drain in companies where you used to actually you know the, the little water cooler you know you used to actually go to work and run into people, and now you don't do that anymore. So think about that from a sales. If you're like a younger agent and you're trying to build a business. And you're not rubbing elbows with other advisors in the hallway anymore. You're kind of on your own in your home. I mean, think about how hard it is to learn how to be good at that in any profession. I mean, you wouldn't learn sports that way, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't learn any other kind of skill by yourself. You'd, you'd be an apprentice. So um, this is kind of a way as the world shrinks. You know, I, I saw companies pulling back and cutting resources and cutting the in-house uh, support for that. And I said, well, you know, this is this is an opportunity to step in and create something that that could scale, you know, virtually to really an unlimited number of people. Yeah, that that networking and those resources are incredibly important. We kind of have started to live in this isolated world where if we want to grow in our own industry, we actually have to look for people to rub elbows with and it's usually through a mastermind. And I can't I can't speak highly enough of of masterminds. Some people, you know, like well, why would you do that? I'm like because that's how we grow. Is talking with other people and then having people lead us in higher level thinking and, and challenging us to um, understand new concepts and have discussions around them. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the concept of a mastermind was actually new to me just a few years ago. I, I just first learned about them and, you know, I always was like, you know, why would you pay $5,000 to be part of a group or 10,000 or I've, I've heard of people paying a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it, dep- it all depends on where you're at in your business, but why would you pay $10,000 just to get ideas? I mean, it's all on the internet. You can just research this stuff on the internet. Right. Um, but it's, it's amazing. You know, just one good idea from these groups, from other successful folks who surround yourself, heck one relationship, one introduction. Uh, I can't tell you the number of introductions that have been made to me just by networking this way and being, being the center of attention for, for some stuff. Um, I'm kind of pinching myself now as, as I look toward, you know, my second full year and you know, actually, you know, I'm past it, but second full year in business, um, the opportunities on the table are, are just unheard of because of the introductions that got made and because of that network, that network effect. So yeah, it's, R- it's, ROI, it's, it, ROI is really big in masterminds. If you participate, if you are involved uh, and so it makes complete sense. Uh, I think sometimes it's a hard sell for someone who hasn't been in there, but I'm like, like, do you want to see, like for me in my mastermind, like I don't look at it as an opportunity for sales, you know, for sales, but you're talking with people who then talk with people and the, I'm like, okay, yeah, it costs a lot, but the return is really high. And, um, it's just incredible. And, and the emotional psychological growth return is really high. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So we, you've only been doing this for a couple of years. When did you decide to write a book? Why did you decide to write a book and who is this book for? So I always kind of wanted to write the book. I had the idea for the book. I think I had the title for the book six or seven years ago, even though I only started writing about a year ago (laughs) and it's called permission to spend. And, you know, I think a lot, there's a lot of press about infinite banking 
and frankly, in my opinion, the wrong way to sell life insurance, because yes, that is a feature of it, but you're paying a lot of mortality. Like you just mentioned costs, you're paying a lot of fees and costs. So if you don't love somebody else that you that you want to buy life insurance for, like, you know, I have kids and I, I have, I have insurable interests, but if you don't have those, like there's a lot of fees you're paying for that. And, and I always say that there's the, the two catches of, you know, buying this stuff, buying, buying whole life insurance is a health. You got to be healthy enough to get it. It is medically underwritten um, to prove that you're healthy enough to get it. The second is patience. You know, it's going to be five to 10 years before you really start to see returns that you're bragging about. It takes some time. That, that's the catch. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to have that reason to own it. So that's the cash side that we already talked about. This book is actually is, is really driven toward the retiree. Uh, I, I noticed this problem very early on in my studies. Uh, and it's actually what I what I went to get my PhD about is retirement income planning. Uh, it's this retirement income is this big puzzle. It's, you know, how do you spend your money in retirement with not being sure how long you're going to live, not being sure what if you're going to retire into the Great Depression, not not knowing if you're going to have major health shocks things like that. How do you actually plan to spend your money over the course of your life? And there's been a lot of research published lately where retirees today, uh, even wealthy ones are just hoarding their cash because they're afraid. Like they don't, they're afraid to spend the money because um, what if, you know, what if they do live to a hundred? What if they, what if something bad happens? And in reality, those fears are kind of unfounded. I mean, it's it's like a 1% chance that that's their reality, but if it is, I mean, think about it, at age 90, if you run out of money, running out of money at age 90 is about as bad as a scenario you can imagine. Like you're destitute at 90, you can't go back to work. So they hoard it. So this became just something that was, I got really focused on as a problem in the industry. And I said, how do we fix that? And, you know, there's ways to do it. There's products called annuities where you can kind of take your retirement, your retirement funds, you know, give it to a life insurance company and they'll guarantee you a paycheck for as long as you live. So you can, you can guarantee yourself income, but the problem with that is you kind of give up your access to cash. Um, your family gets nothing after you die. You know, it, it's all, it, it, you basically traded that away. So, so that, that turns into a bad scenario as well. So the reason I, I focused on this and I wanted to write this book is life insurance, you know, participating in dividend paying whole life insurance. It does all those things. You know, I think about my own plan, my policies sizable you know, it guarantees that my kids, you know, I'm not hell bent on making them rich, but I'm going to want to leave them something. And that, that guarantees that they have that something there. It guarantees that my spouse in retirement is taken care of. So I can go spend all of my retirement account. I can annuitize the whole thing, cash, turn it into a pension and, and leave, leave her nothing. But my life insurance policy will kick in and, 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 and make her whole. Uh, you can also add long-term care benefits on these things. So if I, if you are one of those unfortunate folks who needs, you know, nursing home care or home or home care, that can get very expensive. There's benefits that can get triggered there too. So these policies, the reason I, I, I titled the book that, you know, very specifically, permission to spend. These policies can essentially give you permission to spend. It can guarantee the legacy. It can guarantee the liquidity. It can guarantee the long-term care is funded. Um, and it can, and therefore allow you to, with all of your other assets, all your other investments, more freely spend and enjoy that which you've spent, you know, decades accumulating. Um, so that's that's really the, the crux of the book. Uh, whereas I think a lot of retirement planning out there is is more investment focused and getting to your number, but then no discussion of what happens after you retire. You know. Yeah, and I I want to before we wrap up, I want to talk a little bit about kind of a mental shift or maybe a mindset issue that I see with retirement planning in general. And maybe you've seen this is you, you, 
are so focused on save, 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 save that um, I see these people like they've saved all their life and then their life just becomes about saving and there's really no in, enjoying it. Even when it comes to retirement, they, they're so programmed. It's like, no, I got to save. I you never know something might be happening. And that's kind of where I've seen whole life kind of take a different approach is like, no, you can, like you talked about, borrow on it, repay it and actually live a life and have opportunities because of that. Is that a big part of like this whole equation for you? 100%. It's risk shifting. I mean, you think about what, think about what insurance is, is it's pooling risk, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, we all buy a policy for a tiny amount for the, in, in the event that we're that one unlucky person that has the bad thing happen to them. If you think about a typical ret- a retiree that doesn't own any insurance in retirement, all they have is, is their investment account. That can be millions of dollars, but if that, all they have is investments, there's all those what ifs. They want to leave a legacy to the next generation. So there's some money that has to stay, stay there. There's, there's the potential that they may need hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay for, to pay for care. There's another chunk that needs to stay there. So they have this kind of what if fund all the time and that they can't, they can't spend. They're essentially acting like their own insurance company. They're self-insuring. They're, they're, they're hoarding a ton of cash for this very unlikely event that may happen, but probably won't. Um, that's what insurance is for. So you can actually, so, and that's all annuities and life insurance are. It's, it's, it's pooling that risk so that you can maximize your enjoyment and really, push the spending to the early part of your retirement. You know, you can always just spend a little bit when you, when you turn 65 and retire and then give yourself raises if things work out. But who wants, who wants raises at 90 years old? Like you want to, you want that money when you're 65 and can travel the world and are healthy and can play golf and, you know, drive your German cars and whatever, all that stuff. Like you want to push to the beginning of retirement. So that's really what it's all about. It's shifting risk at the end of the day. But I think a lot of people, they kind of bastardize the topic and talk about life insurance as this, this tax dodge or this sexy investment when really, you know, you can, you can do those investments elsewhere. It's really the risk shifting capabilities that, that that's the story. So that's, that's what my first book's about. Who knows what the second one will be about? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll go down that road, but, <laughs> but not so, for now. So that book is for consumer. It's for the consumer of insurance. That's awesome. I need to get, yeah. a, I need to get a copy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's really cool. Uh, okay. So anything else we need to talk about that you like, we haven't discussed yet that you definitely want to like, say this to, to the audience. You know, I think as I talk more and more, um, I can't tell you, and we already talked about it today, everywhere I go, they're like, tell cool, Tom, your life insurance and financial planning. Awesome. But tell me more about what you did. I don't understand. Like, how do I do that? Um, I get that question a lot because I think there's this misconception or again, it's, I think people just kind of, it's, it's almost like the negative, the negativity out there. They're like, you're either a corporate person or you're a psychopath entrepreneur who just is willing to, you know, live in a tent for two years to then maybe make it two years later. It doesn't have to be that way. It was not that way for me. I mean, I'm, I'm a single dad. I'm divorced after you know, I, I got, I got married young. I'm divorced. I got an eight year old and 11 year old. For me to just live in a tent for two years was not an option. I would have had to stay at the home office, but I thought about my strengths. I thought about what I did well, and I looked at my natural network and I found a partner. I found some. I found somebody who owned a financial planning firm that would pay me, you know, a fraction of what I was making at that at that prior prior job. Pay me enough, you know, to meet my expenses, and then you know, act like a business partner in some of my other ventures along the way. So 
that's a way to bridge the gap. I think a lot of people are in that scenario. There's very few people with enough savings or wealth or just freedom where they can just, you know, be that crazy entrepreneur. Very few people are. I think if you really, you know, in all your interviews, I'll bet you if you talk to all those entrepreneurs that that really hit it big, they probably had someone helping them along the way. They probably had that contact. They probably had some safety net. Very few people just, you know, push all their chips in and and hope like hell. So I would, would, that's, that's my encouragement to folks. I'd say is if you really have that dream, what's your downside? What's your worst case scenario? Because this is, this was the question I got to, and that, that was my aha moment. I said, what's my worst case scenario? If this person's going to pay me a significant portion of what I was making before, my worst case scenario is I'm underemployed. I'm paid a little bit less than I was paid before. But you know what? Even if it doesn't work out two years later, now I've got more experience. Some other company will probably hire me back for as much as I was making before. Um, why not take that risk? But the real, but alternatively, I could be at age 65 or retirement looking back and saying, man, I should have taken that leap. I knew I could, I knew I could have done it back then, but I never did. And I think, you know, the pain of regret is, is, is weighs pretty heavily on people. Certainly me. Yeah. Uh, Agreed. Agreed. That's amazing. Tom, name of your book again. The name of the book is permission to spend. Um, you can check it out on Amazon paperback. Uh, I think audiobook you know, gets uploaded this week, so that Ooh, should be exciting. available anytime soon. Yeah, and um, I'm excited to to see where that we see where that goes from here. Great. Uh, hey, everybody, check out all of the resources in the show notes. Um, that's where they are out. And uh, if you're in this line of work, you should definitely should connect with Tom. Find out what he's doing. See how it can help you. Have an amazing day. Thank you for listening to the Stories That Sell podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, be sure to leave a rating and review and subscribe to hear interviews with incredible guests each and every week.